Good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Man, there's a, there's a buzz and an excitement. Yeah, First Peter's awesome. Uh, let's pray. God, you are a glorious, glorious God, and we are here because of you, and that is the only reason why we gather this morning. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, and that is it. Lord, apart from you, we got nothing. I, I thank you for the story of Peter. I thank you for his life. I thank you, Jesus, for pouring into Peter so that he could stand up and lead the church. I thank you for this letter that he writes to your people scattered throughout, being persecuted. Lord, I pray that today here we we get a glimpse of your love for your people. Jesus, you are a fabulous God. We give you our praise and our worship in your name. Amen. Um, Good morning. My name's Josh. Uh, If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, If you don't have one, shame on you. I'm joking, that, that was mean. Um, if, if, if it's been a while and you haven't opened or cracked the Bible, if you go to the very end and start with Revelation and move left, you go Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, then there's Peter. It's easy to find. Um, there, there really is no excuse for not having a Bible here. I, I, I'm not going to hammer this out, but I promise you, it's so much better to see it, to follow along. For 1,500 years, people didn't have them. And we do, we have, I mean, I have probably 20 on my shelf, and I'm sure you guys have that many as well. Um, I'm sure some of you have them crusted on the dashboard of your car from sitting all summer, but uh, hopefully you have it here today. I, I know some of you are thinking, well, well, Pastor Andy puts them up there for us, right? Well, Pastor Andy's a lot nicer than I am, so <laughs> we're just going to go with it. First Peter 1, 13 through 16. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what this is about today. That is the only thing that we are about as a church. We are about hope in Jesus. If you have hope in anything else, I promise you it will fail you. We are about one thing here at Northwest Hills. We are about Jesus Christ, and, and really that's it. He's the only hope that we have. He's, he's the only hope. We, we learned a couple months ago, going through Ecclesiastes, what hope in this world looks like. Right? You can have hope for peace. You can have hope for a big bank account with a lot of zeros. You can have hope for endless women and grand parties. But remember Solomon, right? He, he's got it all. He's got everything. And in the end, it's unfulfilling. It's unsatisfying. It doesn't reach the need that we all have as humans, and that need can only be met through Jesus Christ. That's it. So we, as Christians, we look radically different than the world because our hope isn't here, right? My hope is not in this. Like, my hope is not in in preaching. It's not in my wonderful, beautiful wife. It's not in my soon-to-be child. I'm having a kid. That's awesome. 
My wife is doing the hard part. I encourage her and cheer her on. But my hope isn't there. My hope is not there. My hope is in one thing. It's in Jesus. Right? That's, that's all we got. That's it. We got one shot. And it's in Him because here's the deal. This life's going to fail you. Right? It's going to. If you've lived it all, you know that. You know that trials are coming. Peter actually says it's a good thing that trials are coming because it encourages and strengthens your faith. Because in the midst of them, you wonder, gee, what's going on here? What, why is this happening? And you look to God and your faith is strengthened. That is a good thing, Peter says. We can rejoice in that. We can find hope in that. That is what we're about. We're about hope. We are about hope in Christ. So today, if life is difficult, ask yourself this question. Where are you finding your hope? Where are you finding? Are you finding it in your bank account? Are you, are you finding it in, in a hopeful, soon-to-be political leader? Are you finding it in your spouse? Are you finding it in your own ability to grit out life? Where is your hope? Peter says, we got one hope and that's it. We got one shot. He says it's in Jesus Christ and in the revelation of him to come. And I can't wait for that day. I can't wait. So, so what this book is about, what First Peter is all about, it's all about that hope. It's all about life. Because it's not easy all the time. We go through trials and First Peter is all about trials. It's all about life. But most importantly, it's about hope. So, so why should we care? Why should you and I care today about what Peter has to say? He lived a long time ago. Right, 2,000 years ago, he preached to people very different than you and I. However, he preached to people very similar to you and I. And we're going to see that today. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at Peter. We're going to look at his life. We're going to look at his interaction with Jesus. We're going to look at the people who, who Peter's writing to. And then we're going to look at the words of 13 through 16. So, so who is Peter? Why, why should I give a rip about what he has to say? Why is he important at all? Peter, 1 Peter, the first words in the book of 1 Peter say this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, those are big, weighty words. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter actually lived with Jesus. He lived with him. He walked with him for three years. Right? We don't have a lot of authors in the Bible who actually lived with Jesus. Peter was one of those guys who actually walked side by side with Jesus and he saw things that most other disciples did not see. So who was he? First of all, he was born in Bethsaida. He lived later in Capernaum and because of this, he had kind of a special accent. People thought he was a little bit different. He spoke both Greek and Aramaic. It was most likely that he was influenced by John the Baptist because his brother Andrew was a follower of John before they switched over to the better one, Jesus. He, he was married. Um, he had a wife who he took along with all his missionary journeys later when he was uh, starting the first churches. Um, she, she was with him the whole time. He, he was a small business owner. Uh, he ran and operated a fishing company. Um, we, we, we know a lot about Peter. We know that he's an excitable guy, right? If you know anything about Peter, and you're going to find out today, um, he's someone who's, who's all in. He's, he's totally in. He's totally devoted. So in the first encounter where Peter meets Jesus, it looks kind of like this. John the Baptist is preaching. He's preaching, and, and all of a sudden he sees Jesus. And John says, that's the Messiah. 
And so some people start walking, um, two guys, they, they want to follow this guy. And, and Jesus turns around and he says, what do you want? And they say, where are you going? He says, come, come follow me. I'll, I'll show you where I'm going. And they went with him. And one of those guys was Andrew. And Andrew goes back home. He grabs his brother and he says, dude, I, I found the one. I found him. Come, come meet him. So Peter goes with his brother, Andrew. He meets Jesus and Jesus says, Simon, which is Peter's old name, you will be now called Peter. It's such a, a radical transformation when Simon first meets Jesus that he says, you're a new person. Your name is now Peter. Your name is now Peter. Later, we have another encounter where, um, where Peter's hanging out with the boats. Jesus comes up to one of the boats and he starts preaching to people from the boat. After he's preaching, he says, hey, hey, let's go, uh, let's go fishing. And Peter says, man, I've been fishing all night. Haven't really had any luck. Skunked, not a good trip. But, you know, John, I follow him, and he says that you're the Messiah, so sure, why not? Let, let's, go, let's go fishing. So they go out, and they drop the nets down, and, and you know what happens, right? The nets just explode. I mean, just tons and tons of fish. And immediately, Peter knows something's very different about this man. He knows something is extremely different. And he says, whoa, 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 get, get away from me. I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. Immediately, Peter recognizes that, that this guy is very different. He's very different. But, but Jesus reassures him. He says, hey, don't worry. You're going to follow me. And I'm going to make you something much greater than a normal fisherman. At this point, there are a lot of people who are following Jesus. All sorts of people. And, and Jesus handpicks out 12 of them. And as Pastor Andy told us two weeks ago, Peter was on the inside he was on the inner circle. There was three people, Peter, James, and John. They were the three closest to Jesus. And in the four lists of the 12 apostles, Peter is always mentioned first. He's the leader. He's the spokesperson of the apostles. Peter is the man, if you will. Right? He walked with Jesus probably more than almost anybody except maybe James and John. And he saw things that most people could never have seen. He, he sees things that are just wild, totally wild. I, I want you to imagine this, okay? He's hanging out with a bunch of dudes, right? They're in their late 20s, think my age. They're hanging out on a three-year just radical journey where they're, they're backpacking, they're hiking, they're swimming in rivers, they're camping, they're having cookouts. Let's up it a little. They're raising people from the dead. You know, they're making people see. Um, they're casting out demons. People are trying to kill them. Like, I don't know about you, but... No one's ever tried to kill me, but I would imagine it'd be pretty exciting if someone tried to kill me and we had to try to run away and hide. That happened. It happened a lot. And when we're with a group of people, that's bonding right there, right? I've been in some brawls and we'll talk about that later, but it's bonding. It's bonding. And, and Peter has that life with Christ for three years. I mean, he sees some crazy things. He sees some crazy, crazy things. At one point in, uh, in Mark, uh, we see this, this picture of, or the story, really, where they go up to the mountain and Jesus just transfigures himself. He becomes completely radiant and white. And all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses are showing up. And Peter's freaking out, like, uh, 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 should, should I make some tents? Like, I, I don't know what to do. Right? And then all of a sudden, this voice from heaven comes down. And he says, this is my son. You need to follow him. Right? He, he saw Elijah. He saw Moses. He heard God's voice himself. He's all in. He's totally devoted. 
Peter saw everything. He, he followed the Lord with an almost like impulsive, tenacious devotion. He was a radical disciple. And, and at times, it's almost funny, like how all in he was. Right? So, so we have this story where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. Right? A lot of you are familiar with this. He's washing the feet. He gets to, he gets to Peter, and Peter says, no, 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 you, you're not washing my feet. And, and Jesus says, no, you, you don't understand. I'm going to wash your feet. And he says, never, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus then says, if I don't wash your feet, you, you're not getting any of me. And Peter then swings all the way and says, okay, then wash all of me. Wash it all. Wash my head. Wash my hands. And Jesus says, okay, you, you took a bath. You're clean. Don't worry about it. Just your feet. Just your feet, Peter. Later, uh, we have the story of, of them on the boat, right? They're, uh, they're out there. Um, fishing, and, and they see someone coming, walking on what seems to be the water towards them. And Peter says, that's got to be Jesus. Hey, I want in on that, Jesus. Can, can, can I, can I do, do that? Sure, why not? Come on. Come on, Peter. I mean, you got to imagine the other disciples. Like, really? Really, Peter? You, you want to go walk on the water? He does. He, he's all in. Later that night, after, um, after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, they're sitting around the table, Jesus says a few things. He says, tonight, one of you guys is going to betray me. And, and you can just feel the buzz in the room from the disciples. All right, really? really? No, no one really says anything at this point. Like, so we're going to betray you? And, and one of them knows it's going to be him. But I, lo- I love it because you have this picture where it's Jesus, and next to Jesus is John, and then Peter's somewhere else. But Peter, no, uh, he, he reaches over and says, hey, John, John. Ask him who it is. Ask him, like, is it, what's going on here? He wants to know. He's curious. Later, Jesus says, I'm going to a place that you cannot follow. I'm going to a place where no one can follow me. And Peter says, oh, I'll go. I will be there. And Jesus says, no, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You won't follow me. And Peter says, I will die for you. I will follow you. I'm totally in. And Jesus says, tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Tonight, you're going to deny knowing me three times. That night, they're in the garden. Jesus is arrested, right? A, a big crowd of an angry mob comes. They got torches. They got all sorts of things. They come up to Jesus, and Jesus says, who are you looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he, and woo, everyone falls to the ground. That's powerful. They stand back up again. They say, who, who are you looking for? They say, I'm looking for Jesus, and I am he. He says, take me. Forget about these other guys. And I love Peter here. I love him because he's got to have in the back of his mind the, the thing that Jesus said earlier about denying him. Right? So what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword, and he hacks off the guy's ear. Right? I love it because historians say that most likely what happened is it wasn't a huge sword. He pulled out this little dagger and tried to shank him, right? But he missed and cut off his ear. And what does Jesus say? He says, whoa, 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 Peter. He says, I could have just thought it and there would have been 72,000 angels there like that. He says, I'm doing this for my father. But I love the fact that Peter's all in. He's not letting his boy go down. He's all in. He is all in. Jesus is taken. He's arrested. He's, He's pulled back. Um, he's meeting with some other people who are accusing him, who are um, putting him on trial. And, and we have this scene where, where Peter's following, but he, he's kind of hiding. 
and, and he gets to a place just outside of where Jesus is, and, and there's a little girl there, and she comes up to him, and she says, uh, aren't, aren't you one of, one of his disciples? And, and Peter says, no, no, I don't, I don't know him. And, and then later, someone else comes and says, no, I, I, I know, I saw you try to shank that guy. You were there. And Peter says, screw you, I don't know him. Right? But not my words. It's in the Bible. It says he cursed. I chose the easy word. I want to keep my job. Right? So, again, one more time. Someone says, no, I swear you were there. Don't you, aren't you, you have that voice. You have that, um, that dialect. You're, you're different. And he says, no. And at that moment, John says that Jesus turned and looked at him and the rooster crowed. And the guilt that Peter must have felt. Have you ever been there? You ever, you ever been so anxious that your stomach hurts and you just want to run away and go to a dark closet and be alone? That, that's got to be Peter. I mean, his best friend, his best friend, who he spent three years with, straight up just says, I don't even know that guy. Because he's afraid of his reputation. He, he's afraid of what might happen to him. Jesus later is beaten. He's thrown up on the cross and he dies alone. His disciples aren't around. They're afraid. Peter's afraid. No one does anything. Jesus dies alone. But the story doesn't end there. Thank God for Peter. Three days later, Mary is checking out the tomb where they put Jesus and and his body's gone. So I love Mary. She, She runs and she goes and gets Peter and John. And, and poor Peter here. I mean, the guy's not a track star. He liked his fish and bread because it says that the both of them ran, but Peter got outran. It's just kind of mean to write down. So John gets there first. John's there first. And, and John's the kind of timid guy. He's, he's kind of looking in. And you can just hear Peter. And he just blows right through John. He's going right in. He wants to see it all. He wants in on the action. And he's calling back, John, you, you got to come check this out. He, he's gone. And it says that they believed. And at this point, they're scared, though, because they know the repercussions of what's going to happen if Jesus' body is gone. They know that people are going to come looking for the disciples and get them in trouble because his body is gone. So they go and they hide. And they hide, and they're in this upper room. They're in the upper room, and, and, and again, you can just feel the buzz. Right? Well, where's Jesus? Did, did he raise from the dead? Who took him? Like, what's going on? Where's Jesus? And, and all of a sudden, Jesus, he comes to him in the room, in the locked room. And you can just imagine the feeling from Peter at that point, just the relief that he must have. Like, I have a second chance. Right? I left my best friend alone to die. I denied him. But he's alive. He is here I, I, we can do this. I, I have another chance. Thank God. And, and later, shortly after, the guys are hanging out, and Peter says, I'm going to go fishing again, guys. Anyone want to come with me? They go fishing. They're out there. Um, don't catch anything. They're heading back in, and they see someone on the shore, a little campfire. That person calls out and says, hey, you guys got any fish? You guys got anything? No, got skunk, Nothing. Try, try putting your nets on the other side. Right, John, they, they do it. The nets explode. Fish are going all over the place. John picks up on this. He's like, wait a second. I, I, ding, I know this story. Right? I know that's got to be Jesus. 
And he's like, Peter, that's got to be Jesus. And I love Peter. He's like, forget the fish. I want Jesus. And he jumps in and he's swimming to go meet Jesus. I love that. I love Peter. He's all in. He's all in. And and they get to the shore. They have a a sweet cookout. It's got to be like the first men's breakfast. Uh, They're cooking some fish. That was cheesy. Uh, They're they're cooking fish. And and you got to imagine this situation here. Jesus kind of pulls Peter aside. He pulls him aside and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. And then he asks him again. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he says, then lead my people. And then he asks him a third time. Remember, three times Peter denied him. And three times Jesus reaffirms him and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you are God. You know everything about me. You know that I love you. And Jesus charges Peter to lead the church. And I love it. I love it because Peter takes that charge and he leads the church with a reckless abandon that is just amazing. Because after that, Jesus goes back up into heaven and Peter just explodes the early church. I mean, he's preaching. The first time he preaches, 3,000 people get saved. I mean, that, that is awesome, right? And you've got to imagine the intensity in which he preached because he was there, right? He lived with Jesus. So it wasn't like, well, I read in this book, this guy, he did. No, no, no. I saw Jesus do this. Like the guy couldn't walk. His feet were all gnarled. And then I saw them grow and he was walking, right? I smelled the dead body. It was real. And then I saw him come to life and 3,000 people are saved and the church explodes from here. And I love this also. Peter is the first to preach to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Thank God for Peter, right? Because I'm not Jewish. Most of you probably aren't Jewish. It's because of Peter that the Gentiles receive the good news, he goes out, he, he's hanging out one day, he gets this vision, the sheet comes down, there's all sorts of animals on the sheet, and God says, kill and eat anything you want. And Peter says, God, um, you know that's not cool. You, you know I'm not allowed to do that. Um, and God says, no, 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 what I've made clean, don't call unclean. It, it's all good. It's all good. And in the middle of this, he hears a knock and some people are at the door and they grab Peter and they say, hey, there's this other guy, Cornelius, who wants to come talk to you. Please come meet him. So he meets Cornelius and he says, "Um, I had this vision and it was something like God told me to go get you and you were going to be here and I sent these men and they got you and now you're here. Can you tell me something? And Peter says, well, um, I had this vision too. And basically the vision is, you guys can be saved. And, and when he's saying this, he's, he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes down. All these people are saved. And it's just a radical, radical time. I mean, the church is set on fire. People are coming to know the Lord. This is a great, great time. Right? It's, it's such a transformation that, that people really want to know what's happening. Right? And I love the religious people here. The religious Jews, they start saying, well, gee, you know, all these non-Jewish people are getting saved. Is this Okay can God really do what he just did? So they do what we usually do, and they form a committee, and they have to start asking questions, right? Can God really just do that? And Peter says, well, you know, uh, 
I preached the gospel. They were saved. I ain't about to get in the way of God. I'm not going to get in his way. It's awesome. It says, who was I that I should stand in God's way? It says, and those who accused him said this, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they praised God. So because of Peter, the early church was exploding. People were getting saved. And here's the deal. No one knew what to do with these people. Right, the religious Jews, they didn't know what to do because there was this whole group of Jewish people who were getting saved. Um, there were non-Jewish people who were getting saved and their lives were looking very, very different than everyone else. Like when you became a Christian, your life was turned upside down. Right, that Their value system was totally different. Their allegiance was no longer to Caesar. Their allegiance is to Jesus. Their, the social life of a Christian is just gone. Right? I mean, you become a Christian and socially, that's suicide. That is a bad idea, right? There, um, you, you were ostracized from your family. People didn't like you anymore. Um, there were many times where physical violence um, was a part of the picture. If you were a Christian, people did not like you. And Peter was in the middle of all of it. In the midst of this, uh, Herod kills James because there's a lot of people who don't like all these Christians. And he says, well, maybe if I kill Peter too, more people will like me. So he has Peter arrested. Peter's put in handcuffs. He's got, uh, he's got a guard on each side of him. He's handcuffed too. He's in prison. He's got all sorts of guards outside. It's in the middle of the night. An angel comes to Peter. He frees him. He walks out of the prison. It says the doors opened on their own accord. And Peter is free. He's free. And radical, radical transformation in the early church. Right? You, you become a Christian and your life is very, very different. Right? Um, historically, we don't have a lot of evidence as, as to what happened to Peter after um, some of the things that I mentioned here. But we, we hear from early historians that he's crucified for Christ upside down because he would not die the same death as Jesus. So who was Peter? Who was he? He was an all-in radical disciple who gave everything for the hope of Jesus. He lived three years following Jesus every step along the way. Jesus, he, he experienced his life. He experienced his death. Jesus charges him with the early church, and he does so. And the church explodes but it's not easy being in the early church. It wasn't easy at that time. So Peter writes to these people. He, he writes them a letter. And we have this letter. And that's what we're going through. This letter is to those people who were first saved, who were being socially criticized, who were very different than everyone else. He, he, he has in his letter one main thing. And it's this. Our hope is not here. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. It is unfading. It is undefiled. It is imperishable. That's what we learned two weeks ago. God is guarding it. And guess what? I want you to rejoice in this. This is good news. This is good news. This is something to be exciting about, excited about. It's so exciting that I love verse 12. Verse 12 says, the angels want to know. They want in. Right, they're looking down. They, they see God creating everything. They see the garden. They see Adam and Eve. They, they see the devil tempting them. And, and you can just hear the angels, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And they do it. And, Jesus, and God sends Jesus to redeem everything. And, and the angels want to know what's going to happen. What's this future hope? We, we want to know what God's doing here. This is exciting. 
This is good news. They, they want in. So, so it's here that we get to verse 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former, former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, so what is this? What does it look like? What does it look like to, to set your mind fully on Christ's revelation? What does it look like to be holy as I am holy? We're going to look at these three verses here, and, or we're going to look at three main points here. First one is this. How are we going to prepare our minds for action? How are we going to be sober-minded? How are we going to do that? You, you see it says, prepare your mind for action. If you have a Bible, you might see a little footnote that says, girding up your loins. Right? Who girded their loins this morning? You, <laughs> that's awkward, right? Like, what does that mean? Girding your loins. What does this mean? It means uh, back in the day that the men had long robes, they had a sweet belt, and if they wanted to go somewhere, they tucked in their robe to their belt. Right? So, so Paul is saying, for your mind, for your mind, be ready for action. Put your shoes on. Put your pants on. Let's go. Let's go grab your raincoat. Your mind needs to be prepared. Your mind, sober-minded, right? What's the opposite of being sober, right? We got a lot of college kids in here. They see it, right? What's the opposite? It's being drunk, right? You do things when you're drunk that you wouldn't do when you weren't drunk. That's why people get drunk, right? So if you have a hard time talking to someone, maybe I'll have a few beers and then I can talk to someone. Or my in-laws are over, it's awkward, I'm, I'm going to have a few drinks and get drunk. Nothing good comes out of being drunk. Right? Right? No one has ever solved any of the world's problems by being drunk. Aha, I've cured Parkinson's. Like, it, that doesn't happen. Right? We, you don't get drunk at work to do a better job. Right? People get drunk after work to forget about their job. Right? And if you have a job that you could do it better being drunk, probably time to get a new one. Right? So Peter's point is this. He says, set your hope on Christ by what? By thinking rightly, by being sober-minded about Jesus. Now, now there's a danger here. We, we love to swing it one way or the other when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Some of us are all emotional, all about emotions, all about feelings. And others of us are straight intellect, straight up intellect. So, so what we have is this. We have on one side people who say, you know what, forget reading the Bible. I have my own personal relationship with Jesus. You know, me and Jesus, we're cool. I, I, you know, spirit fingers in Jesus, right? And give me some Keith Green, give me some Sandy Patty, give me some David Crowder, and me and Jesus are cool. Right? And you laugh, but some of you are like this. Some of us are like this. And then on the other side, we have this strictly intellectual faith. Right? Strictly intellectual. I want to know about God, and that's, that's what I'm about. Give me some Kierkegaard, give me some Kant, give me some Edwards, give me a dark room and some candles, and I want to learn about God. And Peter says we are to be joyful, rejoicing theologians. Right? We're to be full of joy. We should be the happiest people on earth. We really should be. We know what's going to happen in the end. We know the final score. 
right? You, you ever watch a game when you already know what's going to happen in the end and your team wins? What do you do? You have some swagger, right? Like, my team's going to win. I don't care if we're down 20 points. I know in the end we're going to win. We, we know. We're told what's going to happen. And, and what blows my mind is some people have this idea of, of in the end, right? You have this epic battle where, where you have God and Satan, and, and who knows what's going to happen, right? You, you know what the Bible says is going to happen in the end? Jesus shows up, and he says, I am. And it's finished. He shows up. And he says, I am, and it's over. We know the final score. That is something to rejoice in. Be hopeful, be glad. We should be smiling people. Not all the time. Sure, we go through trials. But overall, we should be rejoicing people. And most, and along with that, Peter says, have good theology. Think rightly about God. And to those of you who'd say, well, I'm not really much of a theologian, I would say this, everyone is a theologian. We all have beliefs about God. Some of us are just heretics, right? We're all theologians. Peter says to the people who are finding Christ for the first time, he says, get it straight. Get the story right. And guess what? We have the book. We have the word. God doesn't give us the Bible and say, well, uh, you don't need to read that. Just guess. I just guess. A lot of us play that game. A lot of us play, well, you know, I don't really like this. I don't really like this. Jesus is more like this to me. Just guess. No, God does not say just guess. And in a day and age like this, man, we've got no excuse. We really don't. We have an unlimited access to biblical, theological truth that is really unparalleled in history. Like, I can get on my phone and find more information about the Bible, about God's Word, about the apostles, than people in all of antiquity could get in their whole lifetime studying. Right? And, and as a preacher, this is awesome. It's somewhat intimidating, though, because my wife, after going to first service, she'll go home and listen to someone much greater than I am, and she'll say, well, why didn't you say... But it's great. Right? It's great. We, we, can, we have unlimited access you can go home and you can listen to anybody for free. You can listen to online seminary classes for free. But oftentimes we're so lazy. Oftentimes we're so lazy. Peter says, you need to get it right. You need to be sober-minded, ready for action. Your mind needs to be ready for action. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Remember, Peter knows this far too well. He used to be Simon. He meets Jesus. His name is radically changed to Peter. Oh, that happens a few times in the Bible. People's lives are so changed. Abram becomes Abraham. Saul becomes Paul. Simon becomes Peter. His life is very, very different he knows what it's like for the people in the first church to be persecuted. He knows. And he says, don't go back to your old ways. It's not worth it. There, there was great social pressure to say, ah, forget it. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of getting made fun of. I'm tired of people pestering me. Uh, this life is too hard. It's awkward. Right? It's awkward. I'll just go back to the way I was before I was a Christian. So our former ignorance... All of us who are saved, all of us who are Christians, at one point or another, lived in ignorance. And, and what is this ignorance that he speaks of? What is ignorance? 
Ignorance at its root says this, forget you, God, I want your stuff. Forget you, God, I want your stuff. I want to be comfortable physically, emotionally, socially. The great exchange, Romans 1 calls it. The truth of God for a lie. And we worship that lie, usually in the form of this. Oh, if I just had dot, dot, dot. If I just had a better retirement. If I just had that girlfriend. If I just had a better job. And then we'd give our lives to pursue these things, only to find out, like Solomon has already told us, when we get them, they're really not that great anyways. Don't live in former ignorance. Peter says, don't go there. Don't live that life. It's not worth it. As a Christian, we live different lives. We live different lives. Don't go back. Don't go back. And he says this because he knows the pressure to conform. He knows it. He's got a, a young servant girl saying, do you know Jesus? And he's so afraid that he says, no, I don't. Verse 15 says, be holy, right? For I am holy. Be holy in all of your conduct. There's really enough for an entire sermon here, but but we're just going to go a little bit. So think about who Peter's writing to here when he says, be holy as I am holy. Verse 1 says, um, to those who are elect exiles. Don't get caught up on the word elect. It just means elect. So it is written to the exiles. Peter is writing to Gentiles spread out over all of the country who were experiencing great social persecution. Remember who he's writing to. And he says, be holy as I am holy. Be different. See, when you confessed Christ, you were very, very different. Your life was very different. Your family might have rejected you. Your whole life changed. You were an outcast. You were a freak. You were weird. Does this sound familiar to any of you? It should, right? This isn't normal socially. Like gathering in a big church like this, all singing to an invisible God, singing about like a God who became man, who lived and died and rose again and is in heaven and we have God in us. This is socially not acceptable, right? This is unnormal. This is weird. It's weird for a lot of you to be listening to someone half your age telling you how to live, right? That's weird. This is not normal. We are different. We are different than our neighbors, right? If you are a Christian, you are very different than your neighbor if they are not a Christian. We are very, very different. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You hear it at work. You feel it. You wonder, gosh, when's this going to end? I just, I'm constantly getting made fun of. You know, you, you bring up the word God and people are okay, You know, you can have this ethereal just being out there. But the second you say Jesus, people start getting testy, right? People start saying, well, whoa, whoa, you keep that to yourself. I do my thing, you do your thing. And that's cool that you do your thing, so long as you don't ever really say anything about it, you know? Some of us are thinking, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. I never feel socially awkward for being a Christian. Maybe that's because you've never told anyone you're a Christian, Right? Maybe that's because, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those Jesus freak jobs who, you know, I'm not like one of them, so I just don't really say much. You know, besides, I'm probably not the final link in the chain where people come to know the Lord. I'm probably more in the middle. So I just, I just live a good life, and, and people look at me, and they say, oh, well, he's a nice guy. I want what he wants. Right? Very rarely 
Does anyone look at someone and say, oh, they don't do that? Oh, I want to be like them. Right? And besides, didn't Jesus say, like, wherever you go, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words? No, he didn't say that. No, that was some guy much later. The Bible says something much different. It says, how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone is sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That means coming out of your mouth. Good news. That's news. It's something to say. It's not something not to say. And think about what you're doing. If you you are a professing Christian, you are saying that I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. If, If you say you're a Christian, that's what you believe. If you don't believe that, then you're not a Christian. Right? And then to not say anything to anyone because you don't, because you feel awkward or uncomfortable, what you're saying is my immediate sense of feeling comfortable is more important than your eternal salvation. Those are weighty words. Those are weighty words. And I'm not saying not to be wise about it. Sure, there's a time and a place. But some of us, we never have that time and we never have that place. Right? We are different. We are very different. Where does the word holy come from? Right? It, it comes from the Old Testament. I love Old Testament. Right? It comes from Leviticus. Right? Four times in Leviticus, God, in laying out the law, he, he lays out all these rules. And he says, these rules are for you, and they're really kind of weird rules, most of them. Like, on the top of your house, build a three-foot fence. Shave your beard here, but not here. Eat this, but not that. Be different, because I am altogether set apart and different. The idea of being holy is the idea that we're different. We're different because God is different. He's set apart. You and I are different. And Peter knows what it's like to be different. That's what the book of 1 Peter is all about. It's all about being different. As a Christian, our lives look differently. We see money differently. We see family differently. We see sex differently. We see relationships differently. Right? We are very different. And because of that, people don't like that. Your neighbor doesn't like that. And oftentimes, your insides don't like that either. And because this is true, we're going to experience trials. We are going to experience trials. But Peter calls us to be different. And you know who else was different? Who we follow? Jesus. He was very, very different. He says, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. They hated me. Guess what? They hated me so much that they hung me, they beat me on a cross, and they left me to die. Then they stabbed me in the side with a spear to make sure I was dead. Right? I am very different. The world hated me first. That's why they hate you. We are very different The only reason that Peter can call us to be different is because he was very different. He lived three years with Jesus. He he followed him all the way through his ministry. He he saw it all. And he, he understood. He felt the pressure to conform. He felt the pressure to be different. He heard the stories from people who had accepted Christ and their lives were changed and it was now hard for them. He knew that. So he says, guess what? Our hope isn't here. Our hope is somewhere else. It's in a place far, far greater than here. Put your hope in that. Don't put your hope in this because this will fail you. This will absolutely fail you. So our hope 
is not here. Our hope is in a Savior. I can't wait to get there. Let's pray. God, I thank you that our hope is not in this world. I thank you that Peter lived a life worthy of the calling that you placed on him after you gave him a second chance. You said, lead my people, lead my church, and he did. He did so, and because of him, because of the way that he followed your commands, we have the church today. This is good news. I thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you'd give us a boldness of mind, that that we wouldn't take your word for granted, that we would study it, that we would read it a lot, that we would be sober-minded, ready for action. Lord, I, I ask that you'd give us a boldness to open our mouths when it's appropriate. Lord, let us speak the truth because we know the final outcome. And it's all because of your grace. We thank you, Lord. You are a beautiful and glorious God. Amen.